0: This evening, we'll be looking at Mark chapter 14, verses 10 to 11. And it'll be basically a continuation on what we spoke about this, what we looked at this morning. So due to the internet, thank you, Jonathan. Due to the internet, or even situations that we have seen, we all know of cases in which it seems that A person who seemed godly, who seemed passionate about the things of God, had turned away from Jesus and rejects him as Savior. It is even harder to accept when we knew these persons personally, when they walked alongside us and even broke bread with us, yet they are no longer with us Are no longer in the faith. So this evening, we'll be examining one of Christ's disciples who was part of the twelve. And the big idea here is, is your heart set upon Jesus? Gracious God, we pray as we look into your word, help us not to harden our hearts. We pray that we would delight in your love. And we will seek to serve you in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'll read now Mark chapter 14, verse 1 to 11, but we'll be zeroing in on verses 10 and 11. It was now two days before the Passover, and the feast of unleavened bread, and the chief priests, and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him by stealth and kill him. For they said, Not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. And while he was at Bethany, in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at table, a woman came with an alabaster of flask of ointment of pure nerve, very costly, and she brought the flask and poured it over his head. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, "Why was this ointment wasted? Like Not for this ointment could have been sold for more than three hundred denarii and given to the poor." And they scolded her. But Jesus said, "Leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, and whenever you..." You can do good for them but you will not always have me she has done what she could she has anointed my body beforehand for burial and truly i say to you wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world what she has done will be told in memory of her and the two verses that we'll be focusing on then judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve? Went to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. And when he they sorry, and when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And he and he saw an opportunity to betray. Him. So. Just as we examine the background of the Gospel of Mark, just by way of reminder, the author is Mark, and he's writing to a predominantly Gentile church who is under the rulership of Caesar Nero, who is a tyrant, he's a wicked man. Throughout the book of Mark, Jesus is constantly bombarded by religious groups such as the Pharisees, the Scribes, the Herodians who came together in Mark chapter 3, verse 6, seeking how they may kill him, how they may destroy him physically. So it is obvious to us, even as we look throughout the gospel of Mark, that these persons, they were against Jesus, they despised him. Their actions bore witness towards how they felt about the Christ. I don't think anyone would disagree with that. Yet, in Mark, this was not always the actions towards those who opposed Jesus. There was a person who was close to Christ, at least physically, whose heart was far from him. Little is known about the life of Judas Iscariot from the Bible, although scholars believe different things about him and his life. However, from this scripture, we see that there are numerous times that Judas was with the Christ. This would mean that Judas was there when Jesus did miracles. He was there and he heard the gospel. He knew the scripture bore witness about Christ. Yet, he did not believe. The gospel of Mark records that Judas is present with Jesus Numerous times and I want to make a strong case for this. So Looking at the gospel of Mark first in Mark chapter 3 verse 19, which is not the first instance that Judas was with Jesus, but I want to make a clear case So Judas is named among the disciples and is also named an apostle In Mark chapter three verse nineteen, as one who was sent out to preach the gospel and who had authority to cast out demons. In Mark chapter four verse thirty-four, Jesus shares a parable, parables about the sower and also about the mustard seed, and gives explanation to this meaning to his disciples. Again, in Mark chapter four verse thirty-five. Jesus shows his disciples that he had authority over demons and devils. In Mark chapter five, Jesus heals a woman who discharged blood. Here again, the disciples were present, which is inclusive of Judas. In Mark chapter six, again Judas hears the teachings of Jesus, and later on, he is present when Jesus feeds the five thousand and he walks. I'll walk it. I'll start here, but I hope the case is clear. Judas was with Jesus. He was part of his ministry and a hearer of the words of Christ consistently. A witness to miracles and acts that Jesus did. He was not one who later on heard about Jesus. He was there with Jesus. Yet. In Mark chapter 14, verse 10, it says that Judas, who was one of the 12, went to the chief priests in order to betray him, him here, meaning Jesus, to them. So he went to the chief priests to betray Jesus to those who plotted in Mark chapter 3, verse 6, to destroy or to kill Jesus. So this brings us to our first point. We can be in the midst of God and His people and still miss Him. Going to church and being among God's people doesn't mean that our hearts are towards Jesus. Yet even more than that, professing to do ministry for God does not mean your motive is to bring glory to God. So this can can include preachers, evangelists, missionaries, Persons can be a part of a ministry for different reasons. Yet their affections not be towards God. We all possibly know about persons who preach Christ for the gain of money, the gain of wealth. They say, "If you give unto the Lord, God will make you rich." Our God will bless you. Their motive is to be rich. We possibly heard about professing evangelists who speak loudly about Christ within the streets, yet they are not a part of any local church and they speak of Christ to be named as a professing Christian although they would not commit themselves to any local church. And even those who work as missionaries may do the work because it seems exciting or they want to visit new places, yet their heart, their motive is not, I want to take the gospel to unreached places. In such a place such as Barbados, where the current moral fabric is relatively Christian, it is easy for an individual to believe themselves to be Christian. They know the Christian lingo. They do Christian things as part of their routine. They quote the Bible well and they know of orthodox beliefs. So they would speak about the Trinity and say, yes, I believe the Trinity. And every day they get a Bible verse to their fourth. They have never been in a mosque, so they consider themselves a Christian. Yet, if we look at Judas' life, Judas actually did more than that. Look at Judas in Mark chapter 10, verse 4. He was mentioned as one of the twelve. He was given authority over unclean spirits and the ability to heal diseases and every affliction. This was the ministry that he was commissioned to. So just let it be known that the betrayal of Jesus by Judas was not a surprise to Jesus. Jesus knew that Judas would betray him. Yet Judas is an example that our affections can be far from Christ and our motive for ministry can be something other than the glory of God. Judas' betrayal of Jesus is evident that he loved things of this more, world. Sorry, he loved things of this world more than he loved Christ. Yet it is possible that one who is genuinely saved—and I'm speaking out to Christians, those who are born again, those who are believers, those who are genuinely, genuinely saved—to do good works, yet their motive can be sinful at its core. A Christian can do good works, yet a motive be actually sinful. Ourness, praying, our, pray our self glorification, can be our motive as we seek to keep biblical commands and partake in ministry. If we are honest with ourselves, we know that we have done good works. We have done. We have kept commands stated within the scripture, yet our motive was not to glorify God. Oh, how deceitful our hearts can be! What a Christian needs to remember is when you are seeking to honor the Lord, men will see the outside. They might possibly even praise you or seek to give you an encouraging word. But God He sees the heart. God is not fooled when our motivation isn't for His glory. For He always sees the heart. Knowing that God sees the heart should lead us to examine ourselves. It should actually free us to examine ourselves. Who am I fooling? To know what we do, what we do. But also, it should lead us to repentance. And to ask God to continue to work in us when we sin or when our motive is wrong. Be honest with the one who sees your heart, who knows about your sin. Know that he is patient with you and that he cares for you. Continue to do works that will bring glory to God. Resist temptation that will come from the devil the world and from sin. The flesh. So this brings us to our second point. Satan uses good things that you like to make you fall. He will use good things that you like to make you fall. Now just a disclaimer here. Satan is not the only factor that tempts us to sin. We are tempted by the world, the flesh, and the devil. So we don't want to act like when we fall to temptation that I say something like, "Oh, it was the devil's fault. The devil made me do this." Yet, on the other hand, we don't want to neglect the fact that you and I have an enemy who seeks the destruction of our soul. In verse 11, we see that if Judas would betray Jesus, the promise would be a reward, and this reward was money. It even states afterwards, he sought the opportunity to betray him after giving, after giving this incentive. It has always been evident that Judas' affections were set upon money. In Mark chapter 4, 14, 4-5, it states that some of the disciples wondered why the boy that Mary brought to anoint Jesus to prepare him to burial was not sold and given to the poor. Even as we looked at this morning. John chapter 12, verse 4 to 5 singles out Judas and states that he cared nothing about the poor, but he just wanted the money. We also see that he helped himself to the money by regularly. Luke chapter 12, verse 34 states: For where your treasure is, there will your heart be. Judas' treasure was money. So there was his heart, this was his motive, to gain money. Now this is quite a contrast from Mary who understood Jesus' mission and prepared him for the entourment in comparison to Judas who was one of the twelve in the midst of Jesus who heard the gospel but his thoughts, his heart was set upon riches. The thought of giving to the poor in itself is not an evil or wicked thing. Even though the other disciples who really wanted to do this missed the point, but Judas' motive was not even to give to the poor. His motive was to steal the money. So Judas loved money. And what was he promised if he would have betrayed Jesus? Money. Yeah. The Gospel of Mark records the Last Supper, but John chapter 13 verse 27 gives a more detail about what happened to Judas prior to the betrayal. Satan entered him. Satan sought the destruction of Judas by using a good thing, a good thing such as money, to further lead him astray. And notice I said to further lead him astray. Because we see Judas is regarded as one who stole prior to Satan entering him. We, what he loved was used as his downfall to betray the Messiah. And what you love, Satan will use to lead you away from the Savior. So to the unbeliever. Unbeliever, you are currently not in a war because there is not much of a struggle between God's will and your fleshly desires. Like Judas, you treasure the things of this world, your wealth, your family, your health, your job, which in themselves, these are not bad things. These are good gifts that God gives. Yet, when they tear the throne of your heart, it becomes sinful. Satan further uses these fleshly desires to keep you occupied so that you would not look at the all-satisfying one, Jesus Christ. You were created by God, and you were created for God. As the first commandment states, you shall have no other God but me. So you might look at me and tell me that, well, you don't bow down to idols. You don't have a golden calf in your living room in which you bow down to every evening. However, if we examine these four points that I'm going to list, you can see if this thing or if this item actually sits on the floor of your heart. Would you fall into despair if you lost this thing, if you lost your job, if you were not as healthy as you once were, if you lost uh, a family member? Would you do anything to keep it? Is your identity found in it? Does it consume all your time, your will, and your effort? If you can can say, well, this thing in my life is forefront, as I think upon these four points, then that thing is your idol. That thing is your God. Just as money was the God of Judas. So I urge you to turn from your sin and set your mind upon the one who can satisfy you for all eternity. What the devil, Judas, and the religious group made for evil, God predestined the death of Christ for good. He predestined the death of Christ to save sinners. By trusting in Christ, God can set you free from the love of this world. Therefore, I encourage you to turn from the idols and to set your heart upon the true king, King Jesus. So to the believer, Satan knows your sins' struggles and he uses them to draw your affections away from Christ or to at least accuse him. The war, the latest war that's actually happening between Ukraine and Russia would be evident that the enemy will study your weakness in order to defeat you. So say for example, Russia seized Crimea because here is where the vaccines were being brought, to, brought in from their allies to help aid them. They stopped the export of grain to reduce the money to fund the war. These are merely humanistic examples. However, the same is true for the devil. He knows your weakness. He knows that you are attracted to the opposite sex, which is a good thing. Yet, he would seek to tempt you with lust or to tempt you with pornography. He knows that you are prideful, which is a sin, so he places you in situations where he he can feed your pride. And just like Judas, you might love money, so he will place you in a position to make, for you to make dishonest gain. Yet, even though he knows your sin struggles, we are not in this spirit. We have been given great application from James to deal with our sin and the devil's temptations. James chapter 4 verse 7 says submit yourself therefore to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. James application here is great because it deals with how how to deal with your sin and how one might deal with the devil. First of all, submit to God. As a believer, your aim is to bring God glory. Therefore, You will look into his word, you will seek to follow your conscience and seek to do his will. Our submission should be based on the fact that we know who he is. He is Lord, he is creator of all, he is the sovereign one and he is the savior of your soul. Therefore, you will seek to please him because these things are true of him. He is worthy to submit unto because he is Lord. Resist the devil. The devil will come with his ploys, but the believer should know that you are the Lord's, thinking upon what he has done for you, that he indeed alone is worthy of praise. Therefore, a believer's affections towards Jesus, knowing that he is our treasure, should cause us to have no other Lord but him. The devil may come with things we like, But there is a greater love in view, and that is the love towards our Savior. When our motive for worship of God is due to what He has done and who He is, pleasures of this world, temptations from Satan, or inclinations from our flesh fail in comparison.